Wow. Devil makes mistakes, doesn't he? He made a mistake because he thought Jesus is on the cross. That's the end of that. And he took the music out, he thought, this morning. But we could have just sung anyway. But I felt the songs had words in them that needed to be sent into the atmosphere. And the Lord also, um, I told you last time, sometimes he tells me what to wear, didn't I? All I kept seeing was me wearing a t-shirt with He Has Risen. So here's your message this morning. It's going to be short and sweet. He is risen, Matthew 28, verse 6, and um, he's coming back. We can go and have a cup of tea now. So why a white shirt underneath? When he comes back, he's going to be in white robes. He's risen, and he's returning. (laughs) That song, I sat there just behind Jeff last week. And all I kept getting was up from the grave he arose. With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. What did he do? He arose. He arose. Who rose? Christ Jesus. And then I thought there's a hymn we need at the end. Because you like hymns. Some people don't we love getting... And he gave me a hymn, and I never said anything. And Jeff turned around and says, there's this hymn. I'm not telling you what it is. You can stay tuned. So you can't leave, can you? Because I believe God wants to minister from that hymn this morning. Jesus. You can't take him out of Christianity because you haven't got Christianity. The cross. You can't take that out of Christianity because you haven't got Christianity. The tomb. The empty tomb, you can't take that out of Christianity because you haven't got Christianity. His return, you can't take that out of Christianity. So every lawmaker and every politician in this land and every minority group that wants to take Jesus the cross, the grave, or his coming back out of the vocabulary, out of school, out of church, forget it. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, he reigns, he rules, he's by the Father in heaven, all authority is in his name. And it's about time the church began to say, no, you're not taking down the cross, because you're offending me. There's some chains going to come off here this morning. I haven't started my message yet. (laughs) God's given me more time today, Len. I believe he wants the time. Leanne walked in here. She said there's a different feel in this room. There's a different atmosphere in this room. I thought we need a cross at the front this morning, Lord. Susan sent a message during the week. What do you think we need about having the cross out on the stage this morning? Who's running the show? And flowers in the church. New life. Victory. An empty cross. And we always want the name Jesus up because we need to remind ourselves who it's all about. But someone said there's a different feel in this place this morning. And although we didn't have the words, there was a joy coming. I should have gone, I mean, Len was leading in the songs. But these two here had both been singing. What had you been singing? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Hey! So he can take the words off the screen, but you can't take them out of our hearts, can you? Come on, church. We prayed. We did. Sorry. My wife reminded me. We had our first prayer meeting of this new season in here on Wednesday. We felt to pray in the church at the front here where things seemed to keep happening. And that was an amazing time. The Lord really took us through the Lord's Prayer because if you don't know what to pray, go through that. And during it, there was times of praising him, repentance. People were being very honest. The Holy Spirit was moving on people. And as we were getting through this time of prayer, and there was a, a sense of just that, that, that God was just there with us, uh, Pete had a vision, and he saw like the angels opening up, a bit like the Red Sea, and right at the end stood Jesus. 
And he said Jesus was looking down and that he was pleased with what had taken place as what he was sensing. Cecile saw lambs jumping about in the field, like when they're suddenly free and dancing. And so, so I think Pete had seen it too. And um, there were various words coming, and, and I just was driving home, and I said about what Pete had seen. And I sense when you get an open heaven over a church, anything can happen. And somebody in the atmosphere, who's a liar, a cheat, and a thief, does not like what is beginning to break open in this church and in individuals' lives. And he wants to snuff it out. But he can't, as we'll hear right now. Lord, I just thank you that you are our Lord and Saviour. The only reason we're here is because you saved us. You went to the cross, you died for us, you rose again, and you made the way where there seemed to be no way back to the Father. And this is your house. We are your people. And you've given us the wonderful Holy Spirit in us. He's here right now. And I just sense he wants to do things his way. And why not? Because he's the only way, really. So we just commit this time to you, Father God. And I just pray that everybody here, Lord, these words that you have given me will go straight into the heart into the good soil and they're going to germinate and they're going to produce much fruit and the truth is going to set people free in your house this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a feast we've had recently. Len took us into the eternal kingdom age of God. He reminded us that Jesus said, I'm coming back. That is what the kingdom of God's all about now, isn't it? And we are living in the clash of two kingdoms, two sides, darkness and light, truth and lies. And he took us to the back of the book, the Bible, the book of Revelation, where we saw the victorious outcome, the happy ending. And David last week, what a start to the series, David. What a start. These are two elder statesmen of God. And what a huge blessing you are to us all. And if you get time to sit at their feet, do so. Because the wisdom and the things of God that they have seen and been through that they can impart into your life is precious. Precious. I just want to honor you both. David in his message said that his mum would read the last chapter of a book. And if she didn't like it, she wouldn't read the rest of the book. How it finished told her what she might think about the book. Well, I can, uh, without any shadow of a vote, tell you and recommend this book, the Bible, written by the author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Men wrote these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God breathed. And I've read the last chapter, and it's out of this world. Amazing. The happiest ending you will ever read of or will experience forever and ever. Amen. And if you have a daily reading, great. If you haven't got a daily reading pattern, get one. And read through the Bible. I forget now when I started, but I just read through the Bible in a one-year Bible every year. Year after year, year after year. No notes, no, no getting stuck. Just read the Word. Then there are other things. But get, if you're reading the Bible, read it some more. Because the God will speak to you, he will guide you, and the truth will set you free. Now, we've been on many journeys, all of us, and we're on one at the minute, aren't we, as a church? Physical, spiritual, emotional journeys. We've all experienced the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the sadness and the joy on those journeys. And you may have said or heard comments like, I don't get it. What's going on? That's Norfolk. Well, the real Norfolk is, what's going on? What is going on? You are joking, aren't you? This doesn't make sense. You're wrong. It won't end that way. It can't. Is it ringing any bells in our lives? How many of us enjoy watching replays and highlights of sporting events after you already know the result? I have to admit, I don't watch Norwich replays if they've lost. I want to be encouraged. So I get to watch them once every six or seven weeks. (laughs) it's less painful 
less frustrating and less disappointing. That's a more relaxed experience tomorrow, tomorrow, today. Today is the day. Today, we can have a more relaxed experience because we know the result. We know the result is Jesus is risen. He is alive. However, we can soon forget the journey, the events, the pains, the emotions that were endured on the journey and arriving at this point. And if I said to everyone here, come up and tell a testimony of your life up to this point, it would have many ups and downs, sad events, challenges. Even when it was clear and obvious all along, especially in hindsight, that things were working out for good. You cannot have a resurrection unless there's been a death. You cannot have a resurrection unless there's been a death. So from a position of now knowing the end result, let's look at the replay. I'm not putting it on uh, up there. I'm just going to tell you the replay. The highlights of what happened before. What a match it was. An epic between light and darkness. Heaven and hell. Jesus and the devil. And there was only going to be one winner. Jesus. Many sports are split into two halves, and as with my message, there are two parts. You'll be pleased to know they're not 45 minutes each, with injury time. So let's kick off the road to Calvary. Now, the aim of this Easter series, in case anyone has not heard or seen it written down, is to mirror the journey of the early church as they went on there and approached Jesus' death, witnessed his resurrection, and then remained faithful until the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And we are focusing in on the emotions the disciples experienced on their journey, the uncertainty, bewilderment, and wonder, and the thought of what would come next. Just like a roller coaster ride. They couldn't get off once on it. Have you ever been on one? (laughs) There's bits where you'd like to get off. You can't, can you? It's just like us individually and as a church. But we've got comfort in one fact. We do know that the driver is Jesus. Keep hold of that. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've got a good driver in your life. And through the Holy Spirit, and he will get you there. He had made it clear to his disciples that he was about to die and rise again, and yet it just hadn't sunk in. As David said last week so clearly, the disciples were battling with seeing in the secular human thinking not in a spiritual realm. They just couldn't grasp it. And very much like each of us, when it comes to the things of God, getting past our heads, our minds, our human reasoning isn't easy. And I've just got a warning. Beware, you can reason faith out of the picture. You can reason faith out of your life. You can reason faith out of a situation if you keep thinking and overthinking it. If the Word of God says it and the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do it, you've got a good chance that you're right. And just step out in faith. In Matthew's gospel, we're going to focus on mainly. And remember, Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus. So he was right in there with him, seeing things happen, writing things down. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus clearly predicts his death and resurrection three times. Very clearly. I'm doing about resurrection and he has risen. But we do need to understand the whole picture. So let's turn to Matthew 16, 21, as a slide should come up, if all is well. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life, Matthew 16, 21. Now, just before this, in verses 13 to 20, Peter has just confessed by divine revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the living Son of the living God. They're on a journey here, and at this moment, it marks a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Because it says at the beginning, from that time on, from that time, Jesus begins to teach explicitly about his atoning death. The word must indicates a divine necessity must go to Jerusalem, must be killed. He's just said this to the disciples. He's just said this to a disciple who's got a very uh, clear mind now of who he is. So, after that amazing revelation, what does Peter do? We're talking about their, their emotions, the way they're behaving here. Is it much like us, I wonder? 
There's not a slide on this, I'm just going to read it. It carries on in verse 22 from that text. Then Peter took him, Jesus aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So that's Peter's response. What's Jesus' response? But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense or a hindrance to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Mindful means not conscious or aware of something. How quickly can Peter suddenly go from hearing Jesus say what must happen to tell him he shall not? Because we know there's probably not fully Peter operating here. Get behind me, Satan. These are words identical with what Jesus said in Matthew 4.10 after um, he's um, been in the wilderness. He says, away with you, Satan, after the temptations. So Jesus has recognized here who's behind Peter's words. These, these are the devil's diabolically inspired temptation to avoid suffering as part of his messianic vocation. Because if you knock that out, you knock the whole thing out. The devil does not want Jesus to fulfill things, does he? So he'd heard this in the wilderness. Now I looked up the Greek word diabolus, and that's where we get the word diabolical from. And that actually means characteristic of the devil or so evil as to be suggestive of the devil. So let's just pause. How do you think Peter was now feeling? (laughs) From high adrenaline of revelation to a punch in the stomach that popped a bubble, a rebuke from Jesus. How many times have each of us had an amazing experience or an amazing word and we're on a bit of a high and someone says something to us straight after a meeting yeah, straight after you've been at home in your prayer closet, the phone rings, and someone says something. And often there's someone close to us, and it pops the bubble. Remember this, the devil is relentless. He is a thief and a robber, especially of joy, and will often use people close to us, and it hurts, and he knows it. Just discern where is this coming from before we receive it and react. Discern who is speaking to you. Be careful who is speaking into your life. And just as important, what are you saying to people? What is your motive behind what you're saying? There are two channels that's coming through. Either God or I'll leave you to ponder on the other route. The second prediction we go to in Matthew 17, 22 and 23 Jesus makes his second clear prediction. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered or betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life, and the disciples were filled with grief. New King James says exceedingly sorrowful. Uh, ESV says distressed. Why are they so emotional? The disciples at this point lacked mindful or lacked understanding of the victorious resurrection that was coming. They just couldn't grasp it. And I don't think we would. They thought Jesus was going to come and sort the Romans out. Here's the Messiah. Everything's going to take place, as David explained last week. They'd got their mind on on a conquering leader. And he's telling them he's going to die. Number three prediction. That is in Matthew 20, 18 to 19. Just before, in the 17, Jesus is actually on the way up to Jerusalem and he's taken the disciples aside. So he's speaking to them personally. He's taken time now just to speak to them. And in 18, he says, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered or betrayed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, or scribes, depending on your version. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged, that's scourged, and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. He will rise again. So in this third announcement, if you notice of his sufferings, Jesus is now even more explicit than the first two. And he's actually now bringing into it that he's going to go through Gentile torment and crucifixion. And in Luke's account, in Luke 18.31, which you can look up in your own time if you wish, there's a continuation of what Jesus is saying. It's always good to look across the Gospels, especially on these key events, because each of the witnesses and the writers 
bring out other points that the other one may not have brought out. And Jesus actually says in 1831 in Luke, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And all things, this is Jesus speaking, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And I think you're saying that right now over your lives. What God has spoken over your life, what the prophetic has spoken over your life through people who are being moved by the Holy Spirit to speak into your life, and what you know are the desires in your heart that God placed there is just as firm as this. They will be accomplished because God's going to complete that which he's begun in us. And in Luke 19, uh, verse 19 uh, on this, it also includes the words insulted and spit upon that was going to happen to Jesus. This encourages us in our own walks and as a church. Jesus will keep speaking to us, making things clear. And he's also mindful that it's not always easy for us to grasp things. (laughs) Some of us take a bit longer than others at times and um, don't read my school reports Um, he's also mindful it's always uh, hard for us to grasp things but the Holy Spirit will bring revelation to us and teach us even when we stumble along but let's just go back down the road a little bit into John 10 17 and 18 that's not on a slide it's a familiar passage when I read it to you Jesus has been speaking to his disciples about him being the good shepherd And then he says this in verse 17 of John 10. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down myself. I have authority or power to lay it down and I have the power or authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in safe hands. We're in the hands of the Lord who laid down his life and took it up again on his terms. And if you're in those hands, you're in safe hands. Let's move ahead again on our journey now as we move towards the cross. Jesus has just given a long discourse from about chapter 23 in Matthew. Lots of red writing if you've got one of those Bibles with Jesus speaking and they do it in red. And in there, he's done, I think, there's at least six blistering rebukes to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. All the things they should have been doing that they aren't doing and things he's not happy with. So I wonder what was happening there. They were getting wound up. Who's in control of the going to the cross? Jesus. And he then says again to the disciples in Matthew 26. Not on the slide. Sorry, I didn't get that one on. You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So for six months, Jesus has been uh, announcing to his disciples his impending death. Now he names the precise date. Passover. Then the chief priests, remember he's just wound them up, the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, And plotted to take Jesus by trickery or deception and kill him. That's what the word of God says. I wonder if that was a diabolical plan being hatched. Just like Jesus said. While those who are involved in the crucifixion are not guiltless. He, Jesus, was in control of events throughout. We have to remember. He was in control of the events throughout and still is. He would be slain as the sacrificial Passover lamb voluntarily, fulfilling all the Old Testament types and prophecies. And if you get time in your own studies to go to Exodus 12, you'll see where the Passover was instituted, where the innocent lamb, the pure lamb, was slaughtered. The blood was put over the doorposts because what was about to happen, the angel of death was about to come on the firstborn in Egypt and deliverance was about to take place with the children of God stepping out on their way into the promised land from bondage to slavery, from bondage and slavery. And Isaiah 53, if you go to that chapter about the coming Messiah, actually says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus, the Lamb of God. If you've never understood why that is in Scripture, that's the link. He's the 
sacrificial lamb, unblemished, new sin. An interesting event now takes place that I felt the Lord wanted to include here as we look at responses of people. The anointing of Jesus at Bethany. You can see the, there's three accounts to this. Matthew 26, 6-13, Mark 14, 3-9, and John 12, 1-8. So Jesus and his disciples are at the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. And there are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And anyone who hears the name Lazarus will probably know and remember that he was raised from the dead just before this. He was four days in a tomb. And he was raised by Jesus. I heard someone the other day, I was just listening about resurrection, and he said, the tomb is a womb. The tomb is a womb. Birthing takes place, doesn't it, from a womb, new life. I thought, that's good. Where Jesus, just before he's going to raise him, says this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And now this is for us. He or she who believes in me, though he or she may die, he or she shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this for yourself? I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe that and believe Jesus and say, come into my life, you will have everlasting life. And you might have to go through the grave, but that's your flesh body dying. Your soul and spirit goes up to the Lord. And then at a certain point in time, there's going to be a glorious time where the dead shall rise in Christ. And the old decayed body, you'll be given a new body and we'll be with Jesus forever. There's two, isn't there? There's the death in the grave. And then there's that renewal that comes. So in the house... They've had Lazarus raised. He's now in the house with them. He's declared who he is. But at the meal, Mary comes up and breaks open and pours expensive perfume on him. Spikenard, oil of spikenard, only used on special occasions, over the head of Jesus. And in John's account, that also states that she anointed his feet and was wiping them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And do you know that oil is very strong? And once it gets in your skin, if you know about rubbing oils in, and Jesus is not far away from the cross now, and I would imagine that as he was going through the torment and the, the false court appearance, and, um, and then on the cross after all the scourging, he would probably have gotten whiffs of that oil, that act of kindness upon him. He'd been anointed for his burial. So again, what was the emotional response to this action? Matthew 26, verse 8. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, (laughs) feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived unfair treatment, is what that means. They were indignant, feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived unfair treatment. There's a warning here for all of us, really. Because the oil could have been sold and the money used for the poor. But when you go to Mark 14, verse 5, it says, They, the disciples, criticized, scolded her sharply. Have you ever had that happen when you've done something for Jesus that people don't perceive or understand and you get something said to you? Or even scolded? (laughs) I think we've all been there. John 12 verse 4 records this, and this starts to get really serious. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who we know was about to betray Jesus from what we already know, was upset at what he thought was a waste. Perceived. Thought was a waste. 300 denarii they could have got for this oil, one year's wages for a worker. Well, you think maybe, yeah, you would think that, but this is the reason why he's thinking it. Next in verse 6, John 12 verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Jesus knew all along what was going on with this chap. He's in the 12, and he's stealing money. Now his heart's motive starts to surface, doesn't it? And then when you go on to Matthew um, 14 to 16, 
that says, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest straight after this and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? See where his motive's now gone. He's upset about this, so he's now going to go, he's gone to the chief priest. And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Never go past little things like that in the Bible. Look in the margin, and that will take you to Zechariah 11, verse 12, hundreds of years before this event. And Zechariah prophesied about the 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, listen again, there's that word, from that time he sought an opportunity to betray him. But this is part of the master plan. Regarding money, I felt the Lord just wanted to remind us if you, if you want to covet money, worship money, and depend on money, you're in the wrong place. You need to depend on Jesus as your provider and be content with what you've got, but know that he does want to prosper us. But he wants to teach us to handle riches because they will corrupt you. They will take you into the drug world where the big boys are not taking the stuff. They're just destroying all the lives underneath and reaping in the harvest of pounds and pounds and pounds. That's the devil's way. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Here's a warning. And think of Judas now as I read this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. In other words, miserable or perishing. Is that not Judas? (laughs) For the love of money is a root. It gets misquoted. People say, for the love of money is the root of all evil. No, a root. There's many other things. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's Judas. You've got to let go. You've got, there's two gods, right? There's God in heaven and there's a demon called Mammon, the devil. It's part of his world. Mammon, the love of mammon, the love of money, the love of riches. You want to chop that off as fast as we can because beware the devil is prowling around seeking who he might devour is what the Bible tells us. Check the windows and doors to your heart and soul and that they're secure in Jesus Christ and his truth and his word. That will save you. And the alarm will go off. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. All the people that said, yeah, yeah, look at this. Um, Bitcoins and all this stuff that's not regulated. And you see these poor people on telly who have been scammed thousands and thousands of pounds. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Check your spirit. Go to the word. Ask someone who can give you counsel before you start investing your money or giving details to people. Now to Jesus' response to Mary. This is key. He says, Matthew 26 verse 10, Why do you trouble or bother the woman? So they're getting another rebuke. (laughs) Verse 11, For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always, meaning on earth. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Here's another clear statement of what's about to happen. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And it's just been done again here in 2023. Note, sacrifice for the sake of Jesus will have perpetual influence and effect. Sacrifice for the sake of Jesus and according to what he wants you to do will have perpetual influence and effect. When you've witnessed to people, when you've traveled around the world and gone into really dangerous places that some do, share the gospel, some have been martyred. But that for Jesus is having a perpetual influence and effect as her actions did. What do we see from these responses? So often we don't understand what is going on, but in hindsight we've often said, I wish we hadn't said that. Or done that. Be careful when we judge another person's actions for the Lord. But we can thank God for mercy and forgiveness. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit as he came out of the waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit is often uh, portrayed as oil. And now he's anointed with costly oil for his burial. For each of us, as we journey through 
the rest of our lives here and the different stages and the callings and the challenges, there's going to be a fresh anointing given by God for each one. You know it when it comes. Jesus says in John 16, with regards to emotional journey to his disciples, uh, John 16, 16 to 20, my Bible's headed up, sorrow will turn to joy. He says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. And now some of the disciples are saying amongst themselves, what is this that he says to us? They've had all the predictions, they've had the anointing, and that he's now said this piece, and they said we don't understand Verse 18 in John 16. We do not know or understand what he's saying. But Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. He knows we want to ask him things when we go around sometimes wondering what's going on. So ask him. Are you inquiring? Why are you? He said, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while? And then on the fourth slide that should be up, verse 20, he gives them an example. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn or lament while the world rejoices. You will grieve, be sorrowful, but your sorrow, your grief will be turned to joy. A woman giving birth, or woman in labor, giving birth to a child has pain or sorrow because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you now is your time of grief or sorrow, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one, no one will take away your joy. That deserves a shout of praise. He says that here, no one's going to take away your joy. And I tell you, lots of people here have had their joy stolen by circumstances and the devil because he's a joy stealer. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. So why is he after that? Claim your joy back. We're going to claim it back in a little while. We're now entering injury time at the end of the first half. Sorry. We've gone to the Passover. We've just had the the, the bread and the wine. Judas goes off to do what he's got to do, but that says in the Scriptures, at this point, Satan enters him. He's now going to betray Jesus and get the priest. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is on the ground. He is in such agony of mind and and the stress and knowing what is coming he's actually sweating drops of blood which is a medical condition that was suffered in the trenches in the first world war even but the disciples keep falling asleep they can't they can't stick it they can't stay with him he humbles himself and says not my will but yours be done father like all of us wants the cup to pass but he actually then submits doesn't he for our sake thankfully Judas arrives with the the arrest party, betrays Jesus with a kiss. Anger is in Peter. He cuts off the ear of a guard. Jesus uh, heals it immediately and says, I could call angels to sort this out. Arrest is then, he's taken to the Sanhedrin. He's mocked, falsely accused, slapped and spat spat upon, which is what he said would happen. Peter, as predicted by Jesus, denies him three times and goes off and weeps bitterly. David spoke of pride and humility last week. Made us think, didn't it? Peter was now on his roller coaster of pride and humility. After the Lord's Supper, they disputed who would be the greatest. And in Luke 22, 31, Jesus predicted that uh, Peter would deny him. And he said this, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Who's in charge here? Satan has asked Jesus if he can sift Peter. <laughs> and this is, you think Jesus say, clear off, leave my disciples alone. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me, that's what's going to happen. He's going to go through a sifting. Jesus has prayed and he's going to return. Strengthen your brethren. There are things you've been through that God has let you go through that you are going to strengthen the brethren. You're going to strengthen people that God takes you to because you're going to draw on what God has brought you through and be able to testify that if it hadn't been for Jesus, if it hadn't been for the Lord, I wouldn't be here as I testified the other week. I would have hung myself. And people came forward after that service to be open and honest and got prayed for because I was able to strengthen the brethren after the sifting. Why did he need to go through this? Pride had to be got out of Peter because Jesus knew that Acts chapter 2 was coming. And there couldn't be any pride in this man. So God made sure the pride was out. He's not taking you through a sifting because he's just upset with you. He's taking you through something because he sees something else coming. 
And there's something amazing coming for this church. And you've been through some sifting. And you've been through some loss. And you've been through, I don't know what's happening. What is going on here? I don't think we can go again. I haven't got it in me. But if God's in it, you will have it in you. And when you come through it, not only are we going to be strengthened in this place over here now, but there are going to be hundreds more. Not just coming through these doors, but where you go to work, where you go to college, where you go home to, where you shop, in the streets. It's going to just come. When this revival comes, it's going to come big. There's not going to be enough room in the buildings to get the fish in. So get your house ready. Read Acts. I'm off track now. Read Acts. They went from house to house, breaking bread, sharing in fellowship, praying. The Welsh Revival, I'm just reading about it again. The women and girls were set on fire by God. Why? Because they've been crushed by society. And they were deemed as be at home, ready for the husband, with his food, at his bidding, and everything else about women shall not be heard. Get the, one of the two of the books on the women of the Welsh Revival. They were moved by God. A 17-year-old went to the Rhonda Valley where there was, like our society now, debauchery, drunkenness, revelry, nothing to do with God. 17. And God anointed her. General Booth sent her, but he was a bit concerned because she was young, but she knew God had called her. The first thing she did was went down the mines, dressed up with the stuff on to see what the miners were experiencing, and they, he, what, she won their hearts. She went into the very place. And they started to come and she started to preach the gospel and they got saved. Ladies, the Lord's taken off the lid. He's taken the chains off. Freedom. He needs everybody on deck for what's coming. Okay, Lord, where are we going? How about you and I? Is it time? Is there, I said it. Is there some of us gone through sifting? Remember what I said earlier, no resurrection without a death first. The decision is made for Jesus to be crucified. He's whipped, he's scourged, he's mocked. The soldiers put a crown of thorns on him, rammed on his head. He's nailed to the cross. His lifeblood's flowing out. His, his beaten and pierced body is just oozing blood. He cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me as the sin of the world comes upon him? Our sin, don't forget. He cries that he's finished and gives up his spirit. His side is pierced. But when he gives up his spirit, as you read, there's thunder. There's earthquakes. There's a veil torn in two in the temple, which is a very thick veil from the top to the bottom. Tombs are bursting open and people are being raised because the power of God is now being let loose here. Matthew 27, 52, you can read that. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the 500 witnesses, some of them who are still alive in his time, who saw this. This is not a fairy tale. This is the truth. This is the word of God. This is what's going to keep us safe and alive until he comes. You've got to get in the Bible. And if you don't understand it, get some study notes and talk to people. Because the truth is going to set you free. And it's going to equip you for what's coming. He's taken down. He's wrapped in a grave cloth. And he's placed in a tomb, a borrowed tomb. He's not staying. And a large stone. The Lord had me make up a large stone yesterday. I wrote large stone on it, <laughs> just in case you wondered why I brought a box in the church. So at the minute, the tomb has been sealed. And when they sealed it, that's the authority saying no one opens this without our permission. Because they thought some disciples were going to take him and say, oh look, he has been risen. He's risen from the dead. And they placed soldiers there. And there they sat. Jesus is dead. He told me once when I was praying about this, he said, I was very, very dead. I weren't laying in there thinking, I'll get up in a minute. He was dead. The man, God, Jesus, was dead. He'd given up his spirit, but we know that he was dealing with stuff down well, wherever hell is. People always point down, don't they? So the referee's just blown the whistle on the first half. All looks lost, doesn't it? All looks over. How are you feeling today? Is there anyone here who's just feeling like it's all over? It's lost. I don't see any hope, any way forward. This is what this message is about. It's all about hope and it's all about new life. So, after a punishing first half, what's the second half got for us? Let's see what response Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit have got. 
I think if they were a team, I'd call them Trinity United. Trinity United? Okay, sorry. Move on. What has gone on in the changing room at half-time? Remember, the tomb is a womb. When you go in the changing room, you aren't allowed in there, are you? But something is happening in there for what's going to happen next. So they're coming out of the changing room. Fifth slide. Thanks, Steve. Matthew 28, 1 to 3. This is going to be quick because the highlights in this one are fast moving. After the Sabbath, three days on from the crucifixion, Friday, crucified, Sunday, now we're at, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There's a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord has come down from heaven and going to the tomb is rolled back the stone I can't sit on this, and sat on it. And I love that, because I can imagine this angel, right? All hell has just broken loose for the people who are watching. Everything's shaken. They're probably thinking, how are we going to get this stone across? Because the authority have sealed it, and it's a big stone. But God's got it sorted, and this angel, I imagine him sitting there going. Oh, come on then. I mean, come on, let's get real. This happened. And the guards, sorry, and the tomb has rolled back. I'll just move this so the people beside can see. And I've placed some things in there. There was a violent earthquake. The tomb rolled back and the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And I put, the defenders have been taken out. Open goal! We must score! I'm sorry. Open tomb! Defenders have been taken out! If we had cameras in hell, what was going on between Friday and this morning, it would have been immense. Jesus is dead. He's got the sin of the world on him. He's taken down, and he'll go to hell. But that's where he needs to be right now. Can you imagine? If I could just have a close-up on some of the demons' faces and the devil's faces. We sang it. He began to breathe. He came alive. He's the king of kings, the ruler of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, even the devil. Let's get it round the right way. All I hear people saying, the devil this, the devil that, the devil this. Stuff the devil. I used to sing a little ditty. Um, Satan, Satan, your pants are on fire. Because they're going to be in the back of my book for the rest of his time. In the lake of fire. Jesus, let's get Jesus lifted high. Let's get Jesus mentioned a bit more in our conversations. Let's get Jesus back into society. The angel said to the woman, they must have been gone, what is going on? Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just like he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. Now look at their emotions. Afraid, yet filled with joy. Can you imagine it? And ran to tell his disciples. So what are the responses of the disciples? Yeah, hey, Jesus is risen. Yeah, hey, like we were doing. No. 24, 8, Luke. The women remembered Jesus' words, so they're getting it. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven, because Judas has hung himself, and to all the rest. Now listen to this. Verse 11 of Luke 24. And their words seemed to them like idle talk or nonsense. And they did not believe them. And I don't shake my head here because I'm saying it against these, but how many times has God spoken to me? How many times have I seen things and then something, and I don't go, I can't believe this. These people are real people. It's good to read about them, and that's why we've done this series this way. But Peter rose up with John, and they ran to the tomb, and stooping down, saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself of what had happened. But there's an interesting verse in John 20, verse 9. For as yet they did not know or understand the scripture 
that he must rise again from the Lord, now it was coming clearer. Now, I've placed in here, as I understand it, the actual grave cloth was just tossed down. But if you notice in some of the verses, the face cloth was neatly folded. And I'm interested, so I started to prove it. It's not in scripture, and there are different thoughts. But they go to, um, remember Jesus was from Jerusalem, that whole area. And in a house where there was a master, the servants would stand just out of the way while they're eating and watch. And if the master wiped his beard and face and threw his napkin face cloth down like that heap, they knew it was okay to clear the table. If he folded the napkin up and placed it on the table, it meant he's coming back. At the head. So, that's not scripture. That's culture, rabbis, and just reading up on it. A carpenter, what was Jesus when he was on earth? When he has finished a piece of work in those plots, would take off his apron, fold it neatly and lay it on the piece of work saying it's finished. Just a thought. But there's a wonderful part now as we come into the end. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is who Jesus cast out seven demons. Mary Magdalene got very close in on Jesus, was always there following him, probably you know, the ones that couldn't bear it, but she was at the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus. But just think, Jesus has set this lady free from seven demons. That's what he does, set people free. And she's come there, and now she has her own wonderful encounter, and I just want everyone here this morning to have their own wonderful encounter. And how's that going to happen? Well, we'll see, shall we? She's upset. She's confused. She's asking the angels, wondering where they have taken Jesus' body. Because it still hasn't dawned on her about rising. His body's gone. John 20, verse 14. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. This is amazing. And did not know that it was Jesus. Was it tears in her eyes? Was it grief? Was it Jesus is now so different? How many times has Jesus stood by us and we didn't know he was there? Yeah, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he has to then make himself known, doesn't he? Sometimes. And this is the final slide. This is wonderful. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. He knows your name. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Her eyes are now opened, and there's that sudden understanding. When he stood outside Lazarus' tomb, what did he do? Lazarus, come forth. What's he done here? Mary. That's our God. I end this part now. We'll go into the worship and I think some ministry. This was the instruction he gave to Mary. John 20, 17. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended. Oh, something else is happening. To my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that what she had seen, that she'd seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. And I went to the back of the book, Lynn, and it says this to us. This is John the disciple who's being given this revelation from Jesus to make sure you know this is, you know, one of the main men here. And this is what Jesus said to John in Revelation 1 verse 18. You'll all know it as I begin to read it. I am he who lives, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades, hell, or the unseen realm, and death. 
Game over. One winner. Jesus. He is risen. And he's here right now. And this is the hymn that God gave me that Jeff confirmed. It's always good to sit behind Jeff sometimes because he comes out with gems, but you have to catch them quick. Because if you say, what was that? He'll say, I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we can set you free from that this morning, brother. He does. He comes out with these gems, don't you? And even you say, oh, I wish I could remember that. So, and can it be? Verse 4. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. The same resurrection power that went bang in there and raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is here right now in us and wants to make sure that we know it. And other people need to know it. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. And there's a little instruction here, isn't there? I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off. And my handcuffs too. Sickness, pride, abuse, hopelessness, jealousy, fear, crime, addiction. My chains fell off and I was free. And what does he want you to do? Rise up and follow him. Not go in your own strength. Not go because someone told you. Follow him. And I just need Jeff to come up here right now. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, he's been told, Lazarus, come forth. That's the command. Death now has to sling its hook. Because Jesus, the living God, the resurrection and the life, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Roll the stone away. They're all going, oh, stink, Lord. He's been in there four days. Jesus doesn't bother, does he? He just says it. And out comes Lazarus. Lazarus didn't stroll out because it'll tell you this. I don't know how they put a shroud on in them days, but it tells me in my Bible, his legs were bound. His arms were bound. And if you do this right, Jeff, you can go home a free man. If not, you'll be hopping all the way back to Tavram. <laughs> and he had, this is clean. And his face was covered. You can stay there, actually, Cecile. What was Jesus' next command to the people standing around? Loose him! And let him go. Loose him. My chains fell off and I was free. I rose. Jeff, all the things that have been said to you and have gone into your head that have hindered you over the years, gone in the name of Jesus. Now walk in the path that Jesus has given for you in this new season. Be free. Hallelujah. We're going to play the hymn. I'm going to close the actual bit here uh, so we can minister to people and you can sing the hymn and take as long as you want. And those that want to go and have a cup of tea or need to get away, please do. But this is an important moment. I've taken you very fast through a massive story, but I've done it the way God wanted it done this morning, I believe. And at times it was hard because, dear Maxine, obviously something happened with Maxine, the, the, the sound and the words today. We know who's upset because he's looking in here. He's looking in a tomb where he's going, I thought I had him. I'm sure I had him. I think that God gave him brain damage when he slung him out of heaven. I do. He must be deluded. He knew Jesus in heaven. He's an angel. He was created an archangel. Yet he still keeps trying. So we're going to sing, And Can It Be? Now you can wait until verse 4. Or you can come out whenever you want. Or you can just stand where you are and claim this for yourself. Because it talks about here, the last verse. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. And I clothed in righteousness divine. 
Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. I rebuke condemnation of every person in this house that man, woman, government, bosses, teachers, the devil has placed on them and Christians. No more friendly fire. Please stop shooting brothers and sisters in the Lord. Shoot the devil. So we rebuke you, Satan, off this church. We rebuke you off the families and the lives of these people. You're a liar. There is no truth in you. But Jesus is the truth. And he says, I love you just as you are. Unconditional love. Come just as you are. Bold, I approach the eternal throne. This can be the throne. This is the place this morning where some chains are going to come off. Let's hit that hymn before I get taken on another plane. Hallelujah.